1: Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Roberts and as always I am your good friend and host Steve Robertson here on the Monday edition of the yard man I hope you had a good weekend I hope you did and make our uh, regular summer announcements right it's less than two months away from the beginning of college football season as a tweet came out earlier this week this is the last month we have without college football for a while So, guys. Listen to me. You need to be productive. You need to be organized. You need to be efficient in your activities and get all your honey-do stuff done between now and the middle of August. We get to the middle of August. We're going to be in game mode. We're going to be excited. We're going to be ready to watch, you know, I don't know, East Appalachian Tech versus Texas A&M Corpus, Brownsville, whatever. It doesn't matter who it is. We're going to want to watch it. You'll be uh, tuning in to streaming junior college football games. You're not going to want to have to hear about it. I'm just telling you now, get all your stuff done. I know it's hot. It's ridiculously hot. It's stupid, but there are things that you've been putting off. It's, oh, we got plenty of time. You no longer have plenty of time. Get the honeydew stuff together. College football is coming soon. College football is coming soon. It's going to be great. All right. Let's uh, real quick here. I want to share with you guys. Listen, so many of you are so cool. And a lot of people send me stuff that I don't use. And it's not because I think, uh, you know, hey, it's it's not good. It's just not always great, right? And uh, sometimes I get tagged in the same stuff multiple times. And that's okay. Not crying about it. But I was alerted this morning to a uh, post on Facebook by uh, a young lady by the name of Ann Cooper Owen, who is a, uh, let's just say she is a Mississippi State grad from uh, the early 80s. I don't know, Ann. Uh, We're not friends on Facebook. I don't know that I've ever met Ann. I don't know that Ann's uh, ever bought any of my books, but Ann posted something that uh, somebody shared with me. I think it's very special. So I want to read this to you. Because uh, I think it's important, you know. There's so many times we sometimes forget that our favorite bulldog student athletes are also uh, people. You know, it's like we look out there and it's like a video game or whatever. And you know, sometimes you forget they've got a life away from the baseball diamond, the football field, the basketball court, softball diamond, whatever. That's why I love doing those human interest stories when we can. All that said, I want to read what Ann wrote about Bulldog legend Johnny Cooks. We recently lost Johnny, as you guys know. It's an incredible story here. Not too long, but I just want to share it with you. And there's a handful of pictures here, too, to kind of illustrate the story. I I took one of them and tweeted it out, too, of Johnny uh, pitching in a kickball game. Ann writes, I had the privilege of going to state with Johnny Cooks. He was my friend. His kind heart was unmatched. We did our student teaching together in Starkville. He had been drafted, first round, second pick, and already played one season. And had come back to complete his degree. We could stop right there. And it would be a good story. But it gets better. It's not just a good story, it's a great story. But the fact that a guy that was the number two pick in the NFL draft came back, After the season, to finish his degree, says a lot about Johnny Cooks. All right. We had a student in a wheelchair, and continues, and it was held together with twine. He didn't have much. He never smiled. One day, Johnny and the boy weren't at school. Later that day, they showed up together. Johnny had taken him home to bathe, to a barber for a fresh haircut, to buy a week's worth of pants, shirts, underwear, and a pair of shoes, and bought him a brand new wheelchair. It was the first time I'd seen the boy smile. A beast on the field, an angel on earth. Rest in eternal peace, my friend. You will be missed. What a beautiful, beautiful story. And there is a picture here of the young man uh, in his wheelchair. And uh, I, I didn't share that. It's because of the fact that I didn't want it to, um, I don't know. I just didn't feel right about it, you know. But there's a picture of uh, Johnny out there with some of the young people. looks like they're uh, elementary or middle school age. I would say elementary school kids. And uh, there's a little pudgy guy out there with his M over S cap on. But uh, it's remarkable. It's remarkable to see this. And there have been so many great Johnny Cook stories. And I'll tell you, I shared this on Twitter, too. I've never not seen Johnny Cooks in the last several years where he didn't reach his hand out to shake mine first. Just that kind of person. Glad to see everybody. And, uh, you know, we had back-to-back losses last week uh, connected to Mississippi State. And I wanted to, again, wanted to share this with you because I thought it was such a great story, but it speaks to the character of Johnny Cooks. So there you go. All right, so uh, real quick here, before we get deeper into the show, we got a lot to talk about today, we, and we're expecting a commitment any moment now. And so once that happens, we'll talk about that be later in the show. But we are expecting a commitment, football commitment today. Uh, for those of you that uh, buy my books and follow the show, I, I want to make sure you understand this. You can now pre-order. Pre-order link was established over the weekend for the new book, when the Bottom Falls. So go to whenthebottomfalls.com or you can find it on my Facebook or you can find it on Twitter, Instagram, everything. It's all out there. I'm on all forms social media at Scout Steve R. But uh, if you are a person, number one, maybe you just like to read. Maybe you like an underdog story. Maybe you like a story of redemption. That book's for you. Maybe you're a person that has struggled with substance abuse. This book is for you. Maybe you know somebody or you love somebody that struggles with alcoholism or substance abuse. Well, this book's for you too. And so what I would encourage you to do is uh, you know, buy one for yourself. But if you know somebody that uh, maybe either is an addict or an alcoholic or perhaps is the family member of somebody, that maybe needs to get a level of understanding about alcoholism and drug addiction. Uh, one of the things that I want to say, and I, and I say this regularly and I'll die on this hill, this is not an issue of morality. And there's a lot of people that suggest that it is, and uh, which kind of leads to shame. Yeah, I know we're not supposed to shame each other these days, but there's a lot of shame and guilt associated with addiction. It's true. Uh, but all that said, the... Uh, you know, for me, drugs and alcohol were just kind of extra fun in the beginning. It's like, I want to go out and have a good time, you know. Everybody's partying and having fun. Well, I want to do that too, right? So I would drink more, I would do more, and then all of a sudden it became a a very regular habit for me. It wasn't just partying all the time, it was kind of medicating throughout the day to deal with so much of that stuff. And so I spent a lot of time putting this book together in my mind, years. As a matter of fact, I was writing this book when I got the book contract for Flim Flam. So we set it on the back burner and let it marinate for a few years. And now here it is, whenthebottomfalls.com. You can pre-order, and uh, the book will be released in September. So, like, if you order today, don't expect the book next week. You know, we've got to you know, finish some things up with the typesetting and go to the printer, but they're going to turn it around here in just a few weeks, and uh, and you'll have that. And so we'll, we will tour with the book. And uh, when we, my wife's going to write the forward, and then when she's around, she'll go to book signings with me. That'd be cool, right? She's never had that experience. I've signed uh, tens of thousands of books, and I can tell you that uh, every one of them is special to me. But it would be neat to be able to share that experience with her on occasion. So, uh, But all that said, again, if you are impacted in any way by addiction, whether you be... The person yourself or you love someone that is I would encourage you and, and one of the things that I hope the book does is to kind of create some understanding about addiction that's not to say that we expect people to live with addiction you know in this day of uh, you know I will get myself in trouble here but in this day of where anything goes in life you know uh, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that um, we should have a specified class that we should just accept the fact that people are living with addiction we shouldn't and maybe that's not uh, progressive. But we're ne- we should never set up this thing. And again, I could chase this thing forever. But, um, you know, a lot of people out there handing out rolling papers and, and needles and things like that. I mean, the reality of it is, oh, you know, we want them to be safe. We do, we do, we do. We want to live. However, people that have no consequences for their actions have no incentive to change. So you're actually enabling them. You're enabling them. But again, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about that because I don't want to get in trouble. But uh, again, the reality of it is is that every family in America, at some point, if they haven't been, they will be, impacted by substance abuse in one form or another. So again, whenthebottomfalls.com. Be sure and check it out. We had a great weekend of pre-sales. Great weekend. And uh, I talked to my agent about that, and I was like, hey, what are you expecting? I don't know, you know. So let's set a goal for this, and so we went to work on social media, and we, and we surpassed it, so uh, thank you guys for everybody that has bought the book, and will buy the book, and my hope is that this is, um, it's something that helps you, whether you're an addict or not. A lot of life lessons in this thing, not to suggest that I'm some sort of guru, but I'll tell you this, that, um, you know, I'm five months away from being 32 years queen and sober, so I know a little bit about how not to drink and use, how to achieve something in life, how to find a measure of happiness, so perhaps you'll benefit from it. Again, from the whenthebottomfalls.com. All right, let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I plan to get in there this week. I didn't get there last week. I'm kind of hankering for something I, I want to get those sweet heat chicken sliders that's kind of been on my mind lately and you know how it is when you get it's almost like a, a great song you get an earworm and you're not satisfied until you listen to it i've got this craving for those sweet heat chicken sliders and i'm gonna i'm gonna go have them at some point this week maybe today i don't know but the reality of it is is that bulldog bird company is a great place to dine doesn't matter if it's lunch or dinner or maybe you just want like a night out with friends you could do that too Full-service bar at all three locations. That's in Starkville on University Drive, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. Had one of our longtime listeners, Greg Bingham, hit me up and said, you know what? I went for the first time, and the spring rolls are fire. Yes, they are, and I guarantee you this. Greg's walking around today, and everybody's looking at him, saying, you know what? Something looks different about Greg. Well, Greg's probably better looking had the spring rolls. Now, be sure and go check them out next time you're in town. Have the Lauren, have the Bryant. Had the mentality, add bacon. Get that chocolate shake to go. You'll be glad you did. Bulldog Burger Company, the place for people. Go to meet M-E-A-T. All right. Last night, the first two rounds of the Major League Baseball draft, and there were a couple players selected as we expected. Everything has gone to script at this point. With the exception of Colin Hawk, uh, you know, being a little bit lower, I guess, in the first round. It actually came in uh, the competitive balance picks, but uh, still technically a first rounder. So let's uh, kind of get you up to speed on that. I think that's an important aspect of every bit of this is uh, kind of how things went and where things go from here. Uh, So We've got full coverage over at Gene's page, and uh, Robbie doing a great job, kind of keeping that thread together. And it's not just Mississippi State related. You know, we'll have guys that uh, perhaps are, uh, you know, from SEC programs. You know, guys that are uh, that you're familiar with, signees that perhaps uh, are headed elsewhere, or they won't be signing there. Uh, but it all started with um, the 32nd pick of the draft by the New York Mets. Uh, Colin Hawk is drafted. He will sign. Okay, and that's one of the things that I want to make sure that we we drill down. Basically, anybody drafted yesterday on Sunday or anybody drafted today is going to sign with rare exception. As I shared with you guys last week on Friday, the uh, last year of all the picks in the top 10, top 10 rounds, only three guys didn't sign. And they were all college guys, including Brandon Sprota, of Florida, who uh, went back to school and uh, was drafted last night in the uh, second round. But it's important to understand because because I, I see it every day, every time we have a draft, and, and there's so many people out there to you know have opinions. Well, maybe he'll come to state, guys. He's not coming to state. It's not going to happen because they basically agree to terms prior to the pick being made. Because if they don't, if a If a team drafts a guy in the top 10 rounds and he doesn't sign, they're penalized financially. And so they're not going to draft a guy that they don't have a reasonable expectation of him signing. And so they agree to terms, say, what's your asking price? Uh, The slot value, which is something that was set up in the collective bargaining agreement some years ago because it was ridiculous, the amount of money that was being thrown around at times, and the veterans were upset about that. But the slot value for Colin Hawk is 2.607500. So this guy is going to sign and get a signing bonus in excess of two million dollars. He is not coming to school. But Steve, what if, guys? There's no way if you're already a first rounder, even if it's on the back end of the round, you're not going to you're not going to come here and play for three years or two years in some cases and improve upon that. What if you get injured? right? It's, it's always a possibility. It's important to understand that aspect of it. So if a guy is signed, he's going to get a lot of money. And so guys, again, they are drafted this high, typically... Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Catherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20 minute video explaining step by step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do, I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. The Bulldogs saw Colton Ledbetter drafted, and uh, we were told for the better part of the season that Ledbetter was considered among the top 50 players in this draft. He goes at pick number 55, so pretty close. Pretty close on the, uh, on the projection there. Drafted by the Tampa Bay Rays at number 55, and uh, that's a slot value that's going to have him in really good shape too. I'm looking to make sure we have it here. But it's in excess of a million dollars. I remember that. It's probably I think it's 1.6. I should have gotten my myself together here. But uh, you know, l- listen, Ledbetter's not coming back. And I've already seen some of these uh, posts in the Facebook groups. You know, well, maybe he can come back next year and be a first-rounder. Not going to happen. It's not. Well, Steve, you don't know. I, I do. I, I do. And you do too. And that's where we need some help sometimes on social media. A lot of people, are, what's it going to take? Guys, they are going to sign, period. What was it, 318 players last year drafted in the first 10 rounds? 315 of them signed. They say, well, why didn't the other guys sign? Well, more times than not, it's because they weren't able to sign. Maybe they didn't pass a medical. Maybe they couldn't agree to terms on the signing bonus. But the reality of it is anybody drafted on day one or day two in the MLB draft is going to sign a pro contract. With rare, rare exception I can't drive that home enough And so What we have forecasted After talking to sources You know, we talk to coaches We talk to uh, MLB scouts And in some cases, national cross checkers We try to get information To give you guys a reasonable expectation Of what to expect When the draft comes And so day one Went basically exactly as we expected Colin Hoke, first round, cold lead better second round. It gets a little dicey from this point forward, right? Because of the fact that, you know, there are some guys out there that um, maybe have a third round grade that have a lower asking price. Or you have some guys that maybe have a fourth or fifth round grade but have a higher asking price. And somebody's like, you know what? We'll take a chance. We'll take a chance. And I had somebody tell me yesterday because a lot of people thought, well, Colin Hoke would probably be in the top 15 picks. That's what he was projected uh, to be with the Diamondbacks at 12. Started to get some, some rumors yesterday that he had a little bit of a, uh, a shoulder issue, not going to be a major thing, but apparently that was uh, some, some teams were a little bit hesitant to make that big investment, and again, he falls to the Mets. And it, it's terrible to even say it that way, right? It's like, well, you know, he falls to the Mets. And he's going to get about half the signing bonus he would have gotten had he uh, been drafted as Projected. Between four and five million dollars around 12. The number 12 pick will sign for around four and a half to five million dollars, and he's going to sign for somewhere over two. So that, that is a significant amount of money. But you're not going to, you know, gamble with that, go to school, and then leave things up a chance. That's an important thing to kind of understand. So as we get into today, you know, the guys that we're watching, obviously they're, um, you know several guys on the current roster we do expect to get drafted today and again reminder because i'm already again seeing it on facebook and i love you guys to death and there are a lot of people that just post in the facebook groups that need to su- subscribe to jeans page to kind of avoid um, maybe a little willful ignorance here but um you know we're, we're sitting here watching Cade smith Now, Kay did not have a great combine, but he was invited to the combine. He went out there and performed fairly well. He didn't go dominate. And a lot of people thought, well, maybe he'll go to day three. If he goes to day three, maybe perhaps we can put an NIL package together to get him to come back. That's a long shot. And I've got people in Major League Baseball, they're telling me he's going to go today. And what the thing about Cade is, too, and, and I, I absolutely love Cade Smith and his family, I do, but, you know, Cade, the whole time he's been here, there's there's been something every year that's kept him off the mound. You know, his freshman year, he gets here, and it took forever and a day to kind of get him going, and he did pitch in Omaha in 2021. 2022, same situation. You know, he pitched much better in 2022, but got a little bit dinged up at the end of the year. Remember, he left the mound in the game against Tennessee, And then this year he misses some time after the Arizona State game, misses about a month. And so that's one of the things that factors into all of this, right? It's like, well, yeah, this guy has been very competitive. This guy is a guy that's willing to go out there and eat up some innings for you and try to help his team win. But are we we going to invest millions of dollars in this guy just to see him get hurt again? Now, fair or unfair, that's how people look at it. It's a business. You got to get return on the investment. But we do expect Cade to go today. Kellum Clark, another guy. I had some people tell me that they have like a seventh or eighth round grade on Kellum Clark. I think Kellum Clark's best baseball is ahead of him. I think he's going to be a very good pro player. Um, you know, again, big, strong, strapping, left handed bat. Reinvented himself as an outfielder. You know, when he came here, it was talk about him being a third baseman, and then we're going to make him a first baseman. That didn't take. We threw him out in left for a while. He ends up being in right. Kellum is not a plus defender, but he has come a long way in two seasons. Really expect some big things from him. So, yeah, we expect him to go in the latter part of today. Amani Larry is a little bit different situation for him. He is limited to what he can play position-wise. Again, got off to the great start. I remember that first weekend, we're thinking Imani Larry might be the greatest player since Barry Bonds. But Imani Larry really kind of cooled as we got later into the year, got into SEC play, saw some better pitching. He he dipped in the order. I liked him, lower in the order. But that's a guy, too. There were some people that thought he may go in the top ten rounds. Now there's a lot of talk that he won't. Still a possibility, but if he goes on day three, then he has a decision to make. Does he want to come back and improve his standing? I don't know, because you're not going to get in a situation where you're going to, you know, I don't think he's a guy that is going to play his way into a large signing bonus. And he may just be tired of going to school and may be ready to begin his pro career. So, you know, if he gets drafted – you know, say 15 rounds or lower, then I think there's a possibility of him coming back. If he's drafted ahead of that, he's not coming back. Then there's Aaron Nixon. Aaron Nixon's the guy that, uh, you know, had the bad 2022 after a freshman All-American campaign in 2021. And then this year, he was banged up much of the year. Had some good moments for us. But is a team going to go out there and invest a lot of money in him? They're not. Closers generally don't fetch a high draft pick. And you got to think, if you're Aaron Nixon, are your needs better served by returning for another year of college baseball? That's a decision that he and his family will have to make. He may not even be drafted. He may not even have a decision to make. And there are a lot of people that are telling me if he is drafted, it's probably going to be you know, 18, 19, 20th round. And so again, that'll boil down to is he just simply ready to begin his pro career? Then there's Casey Hunt. You know, Casey is the guy that well, was drafted last year, what, in the sixteenth round by the Mets. He had a decision to make. Didn't take him long. He elected to come back and had some good moments for state this year and some other moments that weren't quite so good. You know, again, Casey is a guy that has been kind of on and off the DL a little bit, but I love Casey. I do. I think he's a great young man. The kind of guy you'd want your daughter to marry, and again, when that breaking ball is on, uh, it's tough. It is, and sometimes we overextended him. But KC is that kind of competitor. KC's a guy that's like, hey, I want to go win the Saturday game, and like when we went to Auburn, right? We had, we're sitting there rolling, and next thing you know, the big comeback starts, and we're trying to save an arm for uh, Game Three. But uh, KC's a guy that I expect to get drafted late too, so. We'll watch some other things, but again, Hunter Hines and Dakota Jordan are not draft eligible. They're not. And I again, I see people talking about it, but they're not draft eligible, period. Hunter Hines may actually be the MVP of the Cape Cod League this year. Eager to see what those guys are going to do, <laughs> DJ and Hunter next year. And uh, another interesting note here, too. A lot of people are you know, very much paying attention to the portal. And no matter how many times we say it, it seems to be a tough time to sink in here. But uh, the portal closes on the 13th of July. That's not the last day to commit. Because I'm already starting to see the posts in the Facebook groups and say, hey, the the portal's closing and we're not taking advantage. Guys, the portal has nothing to do with the timeline for a young man to commit. Period. Period. He just has to declare by the 13th that he plans to transfer in order to be eligible to play next year. Provided it's his first transfer. Two time transfers have to be graduates, right? Unless there's some extenuating circumstances. So this week we'll finish up the draft, which will be huge. And then we'll know exactly who's in the portal. And there are going to be a lot of guys go in the portal later this week. Guys right now that maybe are juniors somewhere else, they're expecting to be drafted or hoping to be drafted. Well, when the draft concludes, you're going to see another rash of players go in the portal. And, you know, right now we're focused on arms, providing you know, Braden Montgomery goes in the portal from Stanford, former Madison Central star by way of Germantown. Yeah, we're going to be all over that. And there's a lot of rumors about that, but the reality of it is, is he has not gone in yet. I was told if he does go in, it's going to be the last day because of the fact he's out there at Team USA Baseball to the 12th. take all the time he needs to decide he's going to enjoy being at Team USA Baseball, and the pitching coach from Stanford is on staff there. That would be kind of awkward. I'm going to go in the portal, and my coach is there, right, Um, or one of my coaches. So we'll see what happens. There's been a lot of talk about Braden Montgomery going in for, for the better part of a year, but we don't know. And so, if, if he doesn't go in, I don't think we take another outfielder unless a difference maker just happens to come along and have a, a mutual interest. But by and large, the rest of our, our portal traffic is going to involve pitchers. And of course, states on Mason Molina from Texas Tech and on um, you know, Luke Holman from Alabama, on Chase Burns from Tennessee, you know, and, and others. But we're chasing the big fish. We're a big fish, got a big opportunity. And so it's important for us to finish this portal out in great shape. We've got to get it done. Simple as that. There's no excuse. We've got to go get it done. Whatever it takes, we've got to get it done. And it's so interesting, too, we talk about uh, name, image, and likeness. You know, There's so much of that. I'm not going to spend my time talking about that, but that's a factor in these deals. And this is where I think that... uh, you know, we have to make some smart decisions here because everybody's like, well, we need to just use our money for this and that. Guys, it's it's a finite amount of resources. And everybody thinks it's just, you know, well, all of our fat cat donors are taking care of all this, but uh, that's just not the reality. So we've got to be smart in what we do. And I trust Charlie Winfield. Absolutely trust Charlie. Do a good job for us. And uh, we'll be smart. We'll be good stewards of our money. But we've got to find a way to make things happen. Period. If we're going to get to where we need to be, we got to get it done. And we have to get an ace. We have to get a Friday night guy. Again, I think Bradley Lofton, a healthy Bradley Lofton, makes us a much better team. And I think a lot of our fans are kind of forgetting that. You know, Bradley Lofton's a guy last year that showed some real flashes for us, and he was never completely healthy. We get a healthy version of Bradley Lofton, well, that's one of your weekend spots right there. You know, Gerangelo Sanjay, we know what he has He had some big moments last year, and other times, you know, didn't miss many bats. I'm eager to see what Justin Parker can do with him. But we have got to get an ace, period. We got to get one of these Chase Burns, Luke Coleman, Mason Lynn. If we can get two, we'll take them, absolutely. You get two of those guys, all of a sudden, you're probably one of the favorites in the West. That's how significant that is, that one decision could make. You get one guy. Let's say you get luke holman to be your friday night guy and that's not a guarantee by any stretch but you get luke holman to be your friday night guy well all of a sudden okay well state's a tournament team right you may be one anyway but all of a sudden you start thinking hey i can slide everybody back and have a true bona fide friday night guy but then all of a sudden let's say you get holman and molina or holman and burns or any combination of the two now all of a sudden you think well goodness gracious mississippi state is really upgraded here You couple that with maybe Aaron Nixon coming back, and you know what you've got coming back with Nate Dome. All of a sudden, you start thinking there's reason for optimism. But again, it's a big week this week, huge week for us, and huge week for Chris Simonis and college coaches around the country because of the fact after this week, you'll know who you've got and who you need to work on Uh, because of the fact that a lot of these guys that are draft risk won't be drafted. You don't have to worry about them. All right. Time for today's top 10 list. Pretty special list today, too. And it's always brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair. B-L-A-I-R.com. Blair is a mortgage professional. There are a lot of people in the mortgage industry. Blair's a pro. This is a guy that can get you to the closing table when nobody else can. And if he can't, he can put you on a pathway to get there. It's good to get pre-qualified so you're not out there wasting your time Wasting your real estate agent's time. Kind of know what ballpark you're looking for. That's important to know. It's a responsible decision to make. Blair can help you with that. Saves you a lot of time, for sure. Give him a call or text today at 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. I don't need to give you his resume, but I'll give you the highlights. 22 years of experience. Top one percent close ratio in the country, three consecutive years. Yeah, you, you didn't know you had a five-star recruit right here in Central Mississippi. Take care of you, and it doesn't matter if you're in Mississippi or somewhere else. Blair's license to practice in multiple states. So reach out to him. Let's get a deal done today. That's closedblair.com. All right, special top ten list. Our our friend Michael Owens, an avid Boneyard listener, reached out to me and said, Hey, Steve, you ever thought about doing this? Well, I hadn't ever thought about using this topic, and uh, I think it's a good one. We haven't done country music in a while, and we're going to do country today, and it's not going to be this um, bro country that you guys uh, have today. You know, it's like real country like the stuff your grandparents and your parents listen to, mainly your grandparents. But it's real country music, and it all stems from one person. It's Hank Cochran. Hank Cochran was a singer-songwriter, had a couple of minor hits, but most of his big hits were recorded by other people. Hank Cochran is a native of Isola, Mississippi, and uh, spent some time in an orphanage and kept running away and running away and ended up living with his aunt and uncle in Greenville, Mississippi and they they hitchhiked ironically all the way to New Mexico and went to work on an oil rig out there and his uncle taught him how to play guitar like in their spare time. The next thing you know Hank became a singer-songwriter, spent some time in California, ultimately landed in Nashville and wrote some of the biggest hits in country music history. So again this is real country so Uh, Hank did not use the phrase girl. That's not in there. Hank didn't wear bedazzled jeans. Hank didn't have the cap on, you know, with the hook on it. We didn't do that. Didn't have those square-toed boots that look like they've never set foot on dirt a day in their lives. Much different guy. So we're going to celebrate the music of Hank Cochran today. Hank married a uh, country music superstar in her own right, Jeannie Seeley, and her biggest hit, her signature song, was a song that her husband at the time, Hank, wrote. It's called Don't Touch Me. Maybe you're somewhat familiar with that, maybe you're not. But uh, Hank was married a total of five times, and uh, I think Jeannie was wife number three. They were together for quite some time and divorced in the uh, mid-80s, but uh, obviously, They had some good times together. They wouldn't have stayed together as long as they did, and and obviously her career benefited from his songwriting. Number nine on your list today. You probably know him more for Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, but it's Burl Ives. Not a lot of things about Burl's voice, I guess, that are um, maybe, I don't know, ultra-talented, but he was a great singer and storyteller. Great track of his that was written by Hank Cochran is A Little Bitty Tear. A Little Bitty Tear. Maybe you've heard it. I remember when I was a kid, see, I'm from the 1900s, and we watched TV as a family. We didn't all go cram up in our rooms. everybody could get together at night after dinner, sit around, stare at the TV. We didn't have our phones to look at, so we had to sit there and watch stuff. And on cable back in those days, I'm trying to think of who it was. What was the name of that company? It was a company that put together all these greatest hits albums. And they used to have these ads on cable. You know, I can't remember the name of my. You'll have to forgive me in my advanced age. But anyway, they would put these greatest hits together. And then Burl Ives was on there regularly. I think CCR was on there the most. But every so often, they would have, like monthly, there'd be a new greatest hits album. And Burl Ives was on there one time. All right, number eight a guy that uh, got some connections to Mississippi, too. It's Mickey Gilly. Mickey Gilley, you know, the best thing that ever happened to Mickey Gilley's career, in my estimation, was the movie Urban Cowboy. I think we'd all agree. But Mickey Gilley had more than his 15 minutes of fame. He had some big hits, and uh, That's All That Matters was one of them, and it was written by the incomparable Hank Cochran. Number seven, and we're getting into country music royalty here. She was born a coal miner's daughter, but she still ended up uh, recording a song from a guy that was, uh, you know, raised in Mississippi. It's Loretta Lynn, the great classic. She's got you. You may have thought that was a Loretta Lynn original. You were wrong. Number six, and again, the rest of the way, it's pretty big names here. It's Merle Haggard. It's not love, but it's not bad. Yeah, you know, it's about being in a relationship, and uh, you know, I guess you're just kind of making, making the best of it. But nevertheless, the fact that we can work Merle Haggard in here and the strangers, it's always a good thing. Number five we've got two George Strait songs on here, and both of them were huge hits. We're gonna start with Oceanfront Property, in Arizona. I don't know—is George Strait the last of the great balladeers in country music? I mean, honestly. And everybody's going to hit me up, but Steve, no, 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 stop. I don't know. I mean, Tim McGraw had a good career, too. I don't know that I would compare him to George Strait. I mean, George Strait, one of the best country music artists of all time. But um, it's an interesting question, and I'm sure some of you will let me know, you know, and you'll come up with, I don't know, Brentley Gilbert or Florida Georgia Line or something. But George Strait's oceanfront property number five. Number four, a song that was actually um, covered by a lot of people, but it went to number one on the charts with Ronnie Millsap. That's another guy too, man, that, you know, kind of buried in 80s country music. You don't hear much about Ronnie Millsap these days or his music. But Ronnie was a legend, man. Him and his frosted blue glasses, what are you talking about? That white jacket, the feathered hair, sitting behind the piano. Don't you ever get tired of hurting me? That's the number four song from Ronnie Millsap. There should be more Ronnie Millsap appreciation in this generation. You know, Ronnie did not wear those little uh, cut-up jeans and a tank top. It's a different day and time. Number three, and probably the signature song from this artist, Eddie Arnold. It's Make the World Go Away. Many people would offer this as one of the best love songs of that generation. And again, it had some success on the pop charts and the country charts. But probably, again, Eddie Arnold's signature song, he didn't even write it. All right, number two, one of the best songs if have written in my generation, regardless of genre, an incredible song. And th- when this is one of the reasons I was so interested in doing this list. When I mentioned this song on the George Strait top ten, I had people that messaged me and said, hey, Steve, you know, that was written by a Mississippian. I did not know that. I didn't. But now that I do, I'm going to share it with you. It is the incredible storytelling song from George Strait, The Chair. True to country, true to love, very, very clever from start to finish. It's basically a one-sided conversation with this girl. He meets at a bar and then they hit it off. next thing you know, they're dating and, you know, And in the end, George reveals to that girl that it wasn't my chair after all, because that's the premise of the song. It's like he walks up and, excuse me, but I think he got my chair. It was just an excuse to talk to her. Then after she falls in love with him, he's like, I just got to tell you, it wasn't my chair after all. So uh, great job of songwriting, and what an incredible performance with George Strait. Again, George Strait's one of those people, I I think really just kind of transcends genres. Maybe George, Chris Stapleton, willie nelson willie's done some work with uh, hank cochran as well but the number one hit and it was the big breakthrough for hank cochran it was the one that really put him on the map and next thing you know he became uh you know a songwriter for the stars and probably and maybe the second best song our most well-known song from patsy klein it's i fall to pieces crazy's probably number one right wouldn't you agree But I Fall to Pieces from Patsy Cline, your number one song, and many of these artists making their top ten debut on the Boneyard, Patsy Cline especially. But uh, an incredible career for Hank Cochran, and he ended up being in the Country Music Hall of Fame as a songwriter. Again, had some hits himself. And what's interesting, too, I want to share this with you. Uh, Hank and Eddie Cochran performed together as the Cochran brothers. They were not related. I don't know why they thought that fit. Maybe it was just easier to go along with it. Are you guys brothers? Sure. Eddie Cochran, of course, had the big hit, the Summertime Blues. There ain't no cure for the Summertime Blues. I mean, we're going to raise a fuss, we're going to raise a holler. But uh, they did perform together and wrote some material together. Uh, so it's nice to be able to kind of take a trip down memory lane. I know we have, some, uh, we have a demographic on our show at times that uh, they don't fully embrace rock and roll. That's okay. I'm not going to be a music snob about that. I'm not a country music guy. But I'll tell you this, growing up in the South, you kind of had to be because those were the only radio stations that you could pick up when you traveled. And those of you from the 1900s will remember that. You know, you kids today, get off my lawn, you kids today will never understand the struggle of hearing, listening to the radio station all day long, hoping for your favorite song to come on, only, only to have the radio station fade when it finally started. You couldn't enjoy it. You don't. You don't know that pain. You don't want to know that pain. But when we would travel across the South, especially across the great state of Mississippi, you know, especially when you get outside of Jackson, all you could hear was country music. That was it. No matter where you that or gospel, right, which is kind of like the, the kissing cousin of country music. So you kind of had to have some some favorites. You know, maybe you liked Eddie Rabbit. Or waylon jennings that was part of the deal man when like it is today where every song in the history of the world is available on itunes and not everyone there's a lot of songs that are out of print that should be on itunes and i think that's a marketing uh opportunity missed if there are out of print albums out there you can't buy them online why wouldn't you put them on itunes doesn't cost you anything to me that's just uh, leaving free money on the table but i can tell you this growing up in south mississippi you make that drive, you know, go to lunch with your family or whatever. You drive from Columbia to Hattiesburg. I and mean, as soon as you left Marion County, WFFF faded. And you had to ride along there. And somebody up front would we talk about, uh, I, I'm on I'm the ride shotgun. I got the radio. And then they would, ride, they would turn, turn, turn. And you'd get a station. Then they would learn. look at the back seat to see if you give a nod of approval. Yeah, let's keep it there. you listen to that station for a few minutes until it faded. Then you'd find another one. And we had our little program too, our presets, right? Where you hit the little thing, and it actually like had a string on it. It was nuts, man. I know I'm dating myself with all that, but I remember that that was that was a big deal, man. It's big. And you, sometimes you just turn the radio off, you couldn't find anything. And I remember even as late as the '90s, man, early '90s. Dana and I and our friend Jim Winter, we were on our way to Jackson to meet some friends, and we listened to the Greg Plump Kentucky game. Remember that? That great game between Mississippi State and Kentucky? And so we're driving up from Hattiesburg to Jackson, and you, you listen to it for a while, and you couldn't get it, and then you would turn and turn and turn and turn and turn, and then you get like the faint sound of Jack Crystal kind of crackling through. You're like, okay, we'll get a little bit closer, and the reception will pick up. But then sometimes it did, sometimes it didn't. But it was a different day and age. And again, uh, the people of my age – and older, I say, you know what, Steve, you're right. I think sometimes all this technology has made us bold too. But I love the fact that I can just go pull up any song that I want, either on YouTube or, or iTunes, and uh, enjoy listening to that. That's pretty cool. Used to, we, we, we had to call up and hope the DJ would play our favorite song. And more times than not, they didn't because they thought they were so cool. But they were in some kind of control and them. They're just in charge. Remember when Pac Man Fever was out? Remember that song, Pac Man Fever? Yeah. I called the local radio stations, hey man, can you play Pac Man Fever? I know you guys have it on your playlist. And I guy's like, well, in order to do that, i have to pull up this and we've got to pull up a number, and there's just too much trouble. It's just too much trouble. So we just program all of our music all day long and that's just kinda of how it works. And that's when I knew that the uh, the real day of the disc jockey was ending. You know, you just you didn't have the same relationship once all these corporations took over and they were gonna tell you what they thought you should listen to and you know when I was a kid that's what you did you you called up and you requested a song and they would the djs would say hey, if you call us with a request and, you, and you'd go get on the phone hey I want to hear this and they'd play it and you felt like you knew them and you appreciated them because they'd play your song and sometimes I would say hey listen do me a favor don't talk over the song I'm trying to record this with my tape recorder and then I could listen to my favorite song on static Matic stereo whenever I wanted to But nevertheless, let's move forward. Again, thanks as always to to Blair Chandler at closeofblair.com. All right, next segment of the show brought to you as always by Campus Bookmart. I love Campus Bookmart. You will too. It's a great place to shop, a wonderful place to do business, the best selection of Mississippi State merchandise in the known universe. A lot of people make that claim, but they are pretenders to the throne. Campus Bookmart, your undisputed champion of Mississippi State merchandise. Go by and check them out. Next time you're in town, neatly positioned on the backside of campus, you can swing through, pick up your merch, even change in the car, I guess. Use one of their great restrooms if you want to. Use the dressing room, put on your new Mississippi State outfit, and head over to one of the Bulldogs' historic venues. If you can't make it to town, or perhaps shopping day is a difficult, excuse me, game day is a tough shopping day for you, hit them up online at campusbookmart.net, courtesy of Al Gore's internet. And use promo code BSR. That stands for beautiful Steve Robertson. That gets you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. Any order less than 75 bones, absolutely incomplete. It's where I shop. And it's where you should shop too. Bulldog people doing a great job for the Bulldog fan base. Campus bookmark. All right. We have picked up our commitment. As expected, former Mississippi State commitment. Commitment tyler woodard has recommitted to mississippi state now you say steve i don't remember this well yeah he committed to us in the class of 2022. i saw him that spring at a seven on seven tournament over in alabama drove over there the best defensive player without question was tyler woodard mississippi state took his commitment several weeks later he uh, came to camp, was hurt, had kind of an average showing, and then ultimately had to go to junior college. He goes to East Mississippi Community College, puts together a really good year last year, picked up several offers. We'll go over that shortly, but I want to share a few things that he said. You can find this our article in its entirety for free at jeanspage.com, the Mississippi State affiliate for 247 Sports. Here's why he committed to Mississippi State. They showed me more love and interest. I feel like they wanted me the most out of everybody, and it's also closer to home. It means a lot to me already having relationships with the staff, relationships to go back to when I was in high school in Memphis. Once they offered me again, we went straight back to those good relationships. Uh, And so we talked to me, and Mark Darcel McBath was his lead recruiter out of high school and now he was expected to play corner, and now he's going to play safety. Brett Dewhurst kind of doing the heavy lifting here, but McBath also involved. I wasn't really, it wasn't really a big difference this time, Woodard said, the recruiting process. I just had to choose the right school in Mississippi State. I'm grateful to be in the SEC, and thank God, above for my opportunity. I like all their coaches, and some of those guys have been there for a while. I talk to the whole staff. I talk a lot with Coach Brett Dewhurst, Coach Darcel McBath, Coach Dewhurst is a really cool dude, and we have a good relationship. Of course, I've known Coach McBath for a while, and everything is still straight with him. As far as uh, his preparations for the season, it's been going great this summer. I've just been working out, doing a lot of conditioning. It was fun playing safety last year, and I've adjusted to it well. I played a bit of safety in corner in high school, but after our second game last year, they moved me to safety, and I will be there again this year, which is good for us. I really like the freedom with that position. And finally... Mississippi State has always had a good defense. I like how they use their safeties in different situations. I believe I'm able to come down over to slot receiver or make tackles in the box. They will give me the opportunity to move around and make plays for the defense. So far, the coaches have mentioned free safety or boundary safety. I think I'll probably play more at free safety. And when you look at our needs at safety and look at our depth chart, we needed to get an older guy. And now we have one, a guy that we know very well a guy that was uh, heavily recruited this time through as well, uh, kind of looking at his offer sheet here. And I don't know how up-to-date this is, but he had an offer from Alabama, Appalachian State, Arkansas, University of North Carolina at Charlotte, Louisville, Marshall, Southern Miss, Nevada, Las Vegas, Texas, San Antonio, among others. So out of high school, he had a handful of offers. This thing boiled down to, in the end, to be Mississippi State and Arkansas. And this is Darcell McBath and Brett Dewhurst head-to-head uh, with Marcus Woodson. And, you know, Marcus Woodson's a guy that uh, has recruited Mississippi heavily and had some success here a few years ago. Of course, all those kids that went to Auburn, <clears throat> only one of them panned out, that being Derek Hall. But uh, Woodson, you've got to give a tip of the cap to him. He is a relentless recruiter. and Anytime you can beat him, it's a good thing. So that brings Mississippi State's class up to 16 commitments. 16, and uh, what are not beneficially rated yet by the network, that, that'll happen in time. But uh, this class now, of course, you know, the ranking will bump up a little bit once you get uh, the junior college rankings done, and a lot of that's going to depend on film, you know, kind of getting the film. Uh, but uh, interesting, you know, 16 commitments and the first junior college commitment, and it won't be the last. You know, we, we're, we're losing a lot this year, and so you're going to see State be pretty active in the portal. You're going to see State uh, be active uh, when it comes to junior college players. Speaking of portal players, over the weekend, State picked up another commitment for the 2023 class. This one kind of a little bit out of nowhere, a little bit. But that Seydou Traor, considered by many to be the top-rated uh, transfer player still, in the portal and uh he is headed to mississippi state a product of clearwater academy international there in clearwater florida spent some time in colorado and uh now is headed to mississippi state now the question comes in here is uh what you know what happens with him as far as el- eligibility he was originally at arkansas state and then transferred to colorado So he's already used his one-time transfer exception. He is not a graduate, so he is not available for immediate playing time this year. In order to get that, there's going to have to be a waiver granted. Now, that could be a number of things. And the thing you go back to with Colorado, you you go back to Deion Sanders. As soon as he got the job at at CU, he told a bunch of those guys to go get in the portal. And so could this be what they consider a runoff waiver? Because if you pull a player's scholarship, then that constitutes a pretty good reason and rationale to grant a waiver. If they just leave of their own volition, they should have to sit. However, if their scholarship wasn't renewed and they have an opportunity to pick up a scholarship uh, situation somewhere else, More times than not, the NCAA will grant that. And so that's kind of what we're up against. But as of now, he is not eligible to play this fall. It may be August. Who knows? Because we've seen these situations in the past kind of linger into the season. So at this point, the best thing is to not expect him. And then if we get him, you're going to be pleasantly surprised. And uh, let me just tell you this. If you've watched his film at all, this is a guy right here that could be a difference maker in this offense. Now, granted, the talent pool is not especially deep. When you look at tight end, and, you know, he's kind of a jumbo X. You know, he could be a guy that, uh, you know, I guess some would say could play at X. I I like him more as a flex tight end, but we'll see. Big, physical guy with soft hands. uh, Really a mismatch out there. But out of high school, you know, he really wasn't much of a prospect. I mean, just kind of a mid-level three-star not even ranked in the top 100 players in the state of Florida, and he was listed as a wide receiver and then is kind of ballooned up into a tight end and put on some good weight. This this is a guy that he is legit. He is absolutely legit and a guy that could be a real difference maker for us. That's an important thing to consider. In the event we get get him in and get him eligible, this is a guy that can play. Uh, but again, that's a member of your twenty twenty-three class, rather twenty twenty-four. Which means state if the math works in my mind, and there's no guarantee that it does, that we have one scholarship left available that we may use that for a walk on. I'm not exactly sure how that's gonna work. But we're right at eighty four scholarships right now. Now, and let me go ahead and prepare you, because it seems this is the world we live in, right? Uh, you're going to have some traffic some outgoing traffic in the portal come december at mississippi state you're going to have some guys that you know due to the schematic changes on offense you're going to have some guys that give it a go this year that'll ultimately leave and so you're going to see some attrition and in order for us to get you know what is used to be considered a full class in we're going to have to free up some scholarships and again you're doing these kids a disservice there's so many people that say hey Well, commitment doesn't mean anything. Well, commitment works both ways, right? I mean, and and why would we want to keep a guy that doesn't fit our scheme? Why would we want to keep a guy and make him kind of tall in obscurity and uh, in a situation where perhaps that um, he could play somewhere else? It doesn't matter how committed he is if he's on the bench, you know, we've had some guys in the past that we've said, hey, listen, you know, the chances of you playing here are not very good. However, I spoke to Coach So-and-so down at Bug Tussle Tech, and they'd like to give you a scholarship. Or If you're interested in that, I'll put you in contact with them. That happens all around the country. And that's, Dan Mullen used to do a great job of that, too. When we'd have guys that want to transfer or we'd have guys that didn't fit the scheme, Dan and those guys would get on the phone. And they would call and help guys find, find a landing spot. We didn't have the benefit of the transfer, transfer portal back then. You know, and, and for years, we didn't even have social media, right? And so you needed coaches to help network for you. It's not like it is today where you just put your name in a portal and then all of a sudden it's on the computer of every college coach in America. It's a much different day and time today. But uh, we're going to have several players leave in December and probably some in, in the spring as well. Uh, so just be prepared for that. Just go ahead and tell you now, you know, the numbers don't work right now. Uh, I, I would suspect right now we're probably right at 85. And I, I would say you'd probably see close to double-digit guys getting a portal between December and the spring. And that, that's probably how it's going to be for everybody around the country, kind of moving forward, just kind of the reality of it. And everybody's like, oh, we're having all these transfers. And all of a sudden, you know, we, you listen to this show and in, in late December, and I'm explaining to you that we're – Typically, we're among the best when it comes to fewest number of transfers. But that's not always a great thing. You know, if you have guys that can't play, you know, nobody benefits from that guy staying, M- namely him. You know, guys going through workouts, going out there through practice and never getting into the payoff for all of his hard, hard work, you know that's a big part of things. So uh, that's where it sits today, kind of a recruiting reset for you. New commitment. For 2024 and a new commitment for 2023, and again, you know there'll be more. And I've I've heard we may get another commitment here uh, in the next uh, week or so. I just don't know if this guy's a take just yet. So I'll update you on Wednesday's show. If he's not a take, I'm not going to tell you his name. If he is a take, I'll tell you his name. All right. And again, I'm you know working what we can to kind of find out where things sit. Uh, with this young man. But uh, he is a guy that's had an offer from Mississippi State since the spring. Uh, but we'll see. An out-of-state player, too. So, and I don't want to create a lot of speculation, but I know you guys always are curious. There's a lot of guys out there that want to play at Mississippi State that maybe can't play at Mississippi State. I, I like this guy. But I think we're on probably a player or two better at his position. And maybe you'll ultimately take him, but maybe you don't take him just yet. All right, changing gears a little bit. Uh, SEC media days are going to take place next week. I'll be in Nashville, but I'm not going to cover the media days. I'm going to go up there, uh, have some meetings, kind of go see some friends, that sort of stuff. But um, Dave Murray will be covering for us, and I suspect Robbie will go as well. I'm not exactly sure. I think Robbie's going to go, but I know Dave's going to go for us. But uh, they've announced the players that'll represent your Bulldogs. That's Jaden Cromedy. Uh, Woody Marks and Will Rogers. I I can't think of three better representatives of Mississippi State. They'll all do a great job. I'm I'm happy these guys have the experience. I mean, you know, they they get on a plane, they fly over, they go through all these interviews, and uh, there's Radio Row and things like that. There's a lot of things that happen. They have a chance to kind of get their name out there and kind of talk about the program. And at this point, everybody considers themselves a bowl team. And, and you, when you look at the schedule and the parity within the league, we should have we could have a record number of teams, bow eligible. I mean, honestly, that, that's how wild this year could be. But I'm eager to see kind of how it lines up for everybody else. More times than not, you take the quarterback. Uh, Leach didn't always do that. But Jaden Cromedy, a guy that had the opportunity to go pro last year, elected to come back, that was significant. You know, we had that run of players that uh, – all announced on social media, you know, Jaden Pickering, Buki Watson, Jed Johnson. Uh, but And all those guys are valuable. But, uh, you know, Crumberty's a guy, too, It's was a difference maker for us last year and only got to play a handful of games. And so getting him back obviously will help him uh, boost his stock in the eyes of uh, the National Football League scouts. It's a much different deal, too you know, with baseball draft to football draft. You know, you, you can make yourself as a senior in football. It's difficult to do that in baseball because you lose your leverage, right? It's just a di- the, the collective bargaining agreements are almost polar opposites in many respects. But uh, Cromedy, a guy, provided he stays healthy, we feel like that he is a solid, you know, top half of the draft type pick. Uh, really a luxury position. You know, if he has a good year, obviously he can play his way in possibly day two. I don't think he's a guy that will play his way into the first round, but I think he is a guy that could be a you know, second- or third-round pick. But uh, I don't know how they're structuring the show this year. But uh, excited about Cromedy, And, again, you go back and look at how many games last year that he played in and how much better the run defense was. When you have to, to account for a guy like Jaden Cromedy, it opens up opportunities for other people. He is a team-first guy that understands his role in our scheme and a guy that will really get after people. Expecting a big year for him. Of course, uh, Woody Marks. I've said on the show multiple times. I don't know that anybody on the Mississippi State roster benefits more in the change offensively than Woody Marks. You saw, you've seen what Woody can do running the football at times, and then catching the football. He is a you know multi-down back. He's the guy that can play all three downs for you. But you go back and look at how hard he ran the football. You know, I I think about the Egg Bowl. I mean, you know, late in that ball game, we're trying to put that game away, and I don't know that anybody played with more abandon than Woody Marks did. Dylan Johnson, of course, uh, you know, had a couple big runs there too, but there was some runs on the interior there that uh, really showed you, really showed you how tough Woody Marks is. That's an incredible part of it. I mean, just absolutely amazing to think about what Woody Marks could be in this system. We're going to run it a lot more. Uh, That's a big part of things. Again, I think he is a guy that just absolutely benefits more than anybody. And Will Rogers too, you know, but Woody Marks was your leading rusher last year with 582 yards, and that's just on 113 carries. Averaging over five yards a carry at nine rushing touchdowns, but you start looking at this, you know, this is a guy that could probably double his production this year. You factor in the receiving you know, numbers from last year, 288 yards receiving. You know, I expect him to be a 1,000-yard contributor this, this year in, in one way or another. Really expecting some big things from him. And you know, We discussed last week, you know, Will Rogers, the uh, most prolific passer back in the Southeastern Conference. And a lot, listen, Will's been unfairly maligned by a lot of our fans. And uh, we had this discussion just yesterday. People like, oh, you know, I need Will to have some big seasons. Guys, we've had nine seasons in our history of nine wins or more. In our history, the only guy to have two of them was Dak Prescott. They did it back-to-back. And so you begin to look, work through this thing here, and you begin to think, you know, Will Rogers with this schedule, with this roster around him, the defense he has to work with, and the fact that we're going to have some new wrinkles this year that people are going to have to really pay attention to what we do. Will's a guy. Obviously, is it is it unrealistic to expect us to win nine games, count the ball game? Is that unrealistic? No, it's not. A lot of people say, well, Steve, I think it's seven and five, guys. I'm just going to tell you again. I, if we go 7-5 and five this year and we're healthy, then we've got some problems. With eight home games for the first time in school history and some manageable road games and the fact that we return one of the most veteran rosters in the Southeastern Conference, we've got a defense that's, that should be top half of the league easily and you've got the most prolific passer in the conference and Woody Marks, who I believe is an NFL back, Is it unrealistic to think we couldn't match last year's regular season win total and go eight and four? We've got a very manageable non-conference schedule. You win a bowl game, it gives you nine. You upset somebody along the way, it gives you ten. But before we get ahead of ourselves, just go ahead and kind of lay it out for what it is. Will Rogers is a dude. And again, some of our fans have kind of blamed him for some things weren't always his fault. Now, I'm not going to sit here and defend his play in the Egg Bowl at times. You know, that that big touchdown right before the half, that was significant, you know. Uh, The big drive to beat Illinois, that was significant, you know. Uh, But, yeah, Will did not play well the last couple games of the year. He'll tag it the same. And as I've shared with you before, too, watching him throw the ball at pro day, he's never thrown the football better, never at any point. Now, granted, there's no rush, there's no, you know, fear of getting, getting tackled there. But I think one of the things, I think in some respects, while Will has answered the bell, we've probably asked too much of him at times. we probably asked him to shoulder too much of the load. And so, again, you begin to think about this deal. Now, all of a sudden, you know, he can be a player, not always have to kind of be the player coach. I think Will's going to have a big year for us. I do. And I think it's one of those deals, too, where Will obviously comes from a football background. His dad obviously grew up watching film with him. Will's knowledge of the game is advanced, and Will is a guy that can kind of see what the defense is showing us and get us out of a bad play into a good play. And I think now that you've got more of the complement of the running game, and there were times last year, listen, listen, you know I I love Mike Leach. There were times that, you know, we'd go games sometimes and have 13, 14 consecutive passing plays. And so teams just drop back, you know, just kind of wait, wait for us to make a mistake or wait for us to, you know, run a route incorrectly or something like that or drop a pass or, uh, you know, miss a protection. You know, that's the thing. When you remove the possibility of the big play from an offense and you just kind of have to methodically work your way down the field, at some point there's going to be a mistake. There's some point there's going to be a holding call. There's going to be a misprotection. There's going to be a sack. There's going to be a tip ball. And I think with this offense, you know, all of a sudden, you got to march those safeties down in the box to respect the run. We break a tackle, it's a big play. The air raid has not been a big play offense. It just hasn't. There, Of course, there's some times, you know, where you, you get the matchup you want, you get a bus somewhere, you confuse a safety, you, there's a communication issue or whatever, and you can exploit that. But by and large, this has been an offense that kind of requires us to put together 8, 9, 10, 12 plays on a drive and yes, it eats up the clock, but it also opens up the probability for a mistake. How cool would it be to go out there and all of a sudden see somebody break a, a run for 50-plus yards? There haven't been a lot of long runs in recent years because of the way people defensed us. When you play two and three high safety, I mean, it's difficult It's difficult to rip off a 25-yard run when there's three safeties on the field. It just didn't work that way. So it'll be eager i'm eager to see what kevin Barbe does and i again i think woody benefits the most i think will probably second most i think you're going to see a different brand of will rogers as good as it's been at times i think you're going to see will be a better leader and be a guy too that a lot of people look at and say you know what this is a pretty cool thing all right final segment of the show we may not go the full 90 today um I had an interesting idea over the weekend. I wrote this article, and you can go read it in its entirety for free at jeanspage.com. You know, Zach Arnett began his college athletics career as a baseball player. A lot of people didn't know that. But Zach had football in his blood. And Zach and his family, obviously, uh, you know, I won't say they were rich by any stretch of the imagination, but they they could afford to send their kid to college, okay? And and when you're around Zach, you know, he kind of has this blue-collar, you know, hard-nosed mentality. You think, oh, this is a kid that's worked his way up from nothing. That's not true, okay? That's not true. Zach's bravado, I think, is really just kind of, you know, based on the fact that he was always a smaller kid. And so he had to play big and so baseball division one baseball was probably the the easier course of action for him and so I said I'm going to write an article about that I want to write about Zach you know being a baseball player and I I was initially told that he walked on to baseball at University of New Mexico but I found out later he was actually offered uh, a scholarship to go play and he was from La Cueva High School there in Albuquerque and uh, so I started kind of digging into all this and I'm like um Hey, this is a pretty special story here. Because I've soon discovered that Arnett played with two future big leaguers Jared Pacheco, who spent a lot of time with the Rockies, some time with the Diamondbacks, and then uh, James Parr, who was drafted out of La Cueva High School by the Atlanta Braves and spent a couple years uh, in the Bigs. So I'm thinking, well, man, how good could this team be? Arnett was a Division I signee. And then you have two guys that are big leaguers on the same high school team. How good were they? Well, one of the best high school teams of all time. They set the national record. 70 consecutive wins. in Zach Arnett's three years on the varsity as a catcher at La Cueva High School. Do you know how many games they lost? One. And they got destroyed in that game. And it was two games removed from tying in the national record. Isn't that crazy to think about? You win 70 consecutive games, and then you play a midweek game, and then somebody crushes you? That's what happened. And they rebounded and went on to win the state championship. Guys, Stan McKeever, who was the head coach at La Cueva when Zach was there. Zach was there on three of the four state championship teams. They won the state title four years in a row, which ties a state record. There have been, I think, two other teams in the history of New Mexico high school baseball. That won four state championships in a row and your head football coach was a part of that and so i reached out to a friend that knew the media relations contact with the albuquerque isotopes because uh pacheco is no longer a player and now he's the hitting coach in albuquerque his hometown an hour later i'm on the phone with this guy and we're talking about Arnett. We're talking about, you know, what a competitor he was. And, and the thing that he said that I thought was amazing is he said, you know, we wanted Zach on the field. And Zach wasn't always the most talented guy. He played really hard. But we always wanted him on the field because he was so competitive. And he made us more competitive. You know, we were all a bunch of competitive guys. But all of a sudden, here's our guy. And Pacheco pitched in high school too, as you'd expect. And so Arnett is catching two guys that ultimately ended up being pro all players. And I said in the beginning, you know, Arnett wasn't especially skilled. He hustled, earned the respect of his teammates. And what's interesting too, in uh, in game number 69, nice, when La Cueva set a new record for high school winning streak, consecutive games won. This is back in uh, 2004. The final out of the game came when your head football coach threw out a runner. It was a blowout game, but the final out of the game, Arnett throws a guy out. In the state championship that year, in 04, James Parr threw a no-hitter. Your head football coach caught and called a no-hitter that won a state championship it's fascinating stuff and like you go through all this like our own feelings about Arnett right it's like we we knew that he was pretty special from the beginning didn't take us long to figure out there's a special quality about this guy I tell you one of the cool things too about speaking of Albuquerque and and Arnett you know my wife was out there for a while an extended period of time and uh, nearly killed me as you may remember but every time I would see Zach he would say hey is your wife still in Albuquerque I was like yeah how's she doing How's it going out there? Because Albuquerque can be a rough place. That's the kind of guy he is. And I do he remember, he goes, hey, next time you go out there, go eat here. It's been a while since I've been there, but there's a really good place. You need to go see this. Kind of got a little leech in him in that respect. But then when you start digging into this thing and you begin to realize the genesis of the Zach Garnett experience, this isn't a situation where a guy was just in the right place at the right time. Zach Arnett is a guy that worked his way up. An undersized high school catcher. Gets an opportunity to go play at UNM and then decides, you know what? I'm a football guy. I can't live my life not knowing. You know, I'd rather rather fail than not know, so I'm going to go try to walk on the football team. And you know what he does? By the end of the summer, they put him on scholarship. He ends up being a late signee. And then... Over the course of the next four years, he becomes the centerpiece of their defense. As Pacheco said, as good as a high school baseball player, Zach was, he said the funnest thing was to watch this guy play football. He said he's out there leading the defense and calling the checks and you know, autumn on the team and getting everybody fired up. you, You can see how fiery he is. It's just simply something that is within Zach. He is a competitor. We talked last year extensively about how there was so much respect on defense. You know, the defensive players you know, respected the scheme, respected their coaches, they respected Arnett, they believed in Arnett. You go back and look at the defensive numbers in that Egg Bowl last year, and give Ole Miss some credit. They were one of the best, one of the best offensive teams in the country last year. Maybe you've forgotten that. Now I'm going to pull this up, and we're just going to talk about it. Arnett understood what the significance of that game meant it didn't have to be oversold by mike leach arnett got it and he understood that our chances of winning that game were are going to boil down to what we did on defense you know Ole miss was not great defensively last year you know they made some plays they weren't great but they were a game they were a team that would eat you up they get judkins going man they just eat you up had a couple of decent wide receivers of course mingo and uh, Malik Heath. And so this is a very prolific offense, and yet you had to account for the uh, you know, the running ability in one-jackson dart. But you go back and you look at these numbers. We held Ole missed to 19 first downs. We held them to 78 yards rushing. Again, one of the most prolific running teams in the country, and that's on 39 attempts. Mississippi State actually outrushed them. With two less attempts, they pass for 257. They have 335 yards total offense. That's it. That's it. And, of course, most of that came on that final drive. Remember that, the 99, 98-yard drive? Think about that for a second. You look at these numbers and say, wow, you know, 335, that's great. You know, we put that ball in the end zone right there. It's probably a different game and a different box score. But up until that final drive, you know what they have, 240 yards of offense, thereabouts. And so I share that with you, again, just to kind of frame this thing up. Uh, I am a raving fan of Zach Arnett, not just as a player, but as a coach. And uh, I see it all the time, like on our message board, people are like, you know, man, I want this guy to be successful so bad. I just want it so bad. And guys, I'm going to tell you this. You know, based on the track record, and again, you go back to high school, a kid that probably didn't really have a lot of, you know, a lot of business out there, came in as a freshman, and again, they said he was kind of rough around the edges, but he competed, he hustled, and in time, he became the starting catcher on the varsity. He goes on to win three state championships, and then goes on and walks on to a Division One football program, earns a scholarship, and becomes a captain of the defense. And again, you look at everything that's happened since he's been here as our coach. And every decision that he's made has been the right one. Everyone. And so I say, you know, hey, I hope that he's successful. Guys, I expect him to be successful. Because that's all Zach Arnett has ever been. Will there be a learning curve? You better believe it. But the thing that I expect is basically the same thing that we saw from him coming up the ranks, high school, walk-on football player to ultimately earn a scholarship whatever his kids are gonna to be tough his kids are gonna compete his kids are gonna get out there and get after it and it's not like he's a brand new guy that comes in and we just don't know anything about the guy right it's a guy we've had a chance to get to know for three years now there's really not much chance of him ever going back to be the head football coach at university of new mexico mama's not gonna call him home Matter of fact, he doesn't get back to Albuquerque very often, um, but he does on occasion because Zach is here trying to find a way to get get your football team to, to win a ballgame. Very involved on the recruiting side of things, and you look at how we're recruiting right now in states, going exceptionally well. It is. And so the thing that I just kind of – I want to kind of bring all this kind of together is this is not a hope situation. This is not, well, I got my fingers crossed. No, no. Zach Arnett may be ahead of schedule, which is kind of the story of his life. But Zach Arnett was the right guy at the right time for this program. I think long term, we're going to look back and say, you know what? This worked out really well. I'll give you guys a little bit of an aside, too. While it was never officially declared, Zach Arnett was your coach in waiting. There's never a contract sign, there's no language anywhere. Nobody ever said, Hey, Zach, you're the coach in waiting. Zach Arnett loved it here. He loved working with Coach Leach, but you know, you know, there were some there were some murmurings about Coach having some health problems last year that he may retire. And sadly, you know, we all know how that story ended. But as late as, you know, last summer, there were some discussions. And uh, Mississippi State officials actually uh yeah, you know, they kind of did their due diligence in Zach, you know, people forget Zach signed the most expensive buy out of assistant coach in the country a couple years ago, which says a lot about how he feels about you and about us and about Mississippi State and about Starkville. This guy's committed to your program. You know, Dan Mullen did a lot of amazing things here, but let's be honest about that. I mean, it was like, you know, he was dating us until he found a better option. And I get it, man. I, I, appreciate people that come in and they aspire to be great and they're ambitious and they want to win NAFL championships. I get it. I understand it. Do you think Zach Arnett expected to win an NFL championship when he went to New Mexico? Probably not. But he loved the game. He loved his team and he went up there and did his best to make them better and do some historic things. And I believe... And I may, you know, five years from now, I may look back at this and say, you know what, I was a complete idiot. I believe Zach Arnett's going to be here for a long time. And not just because of the fact that, uh, you know, Zach Arnett is a good football coach. I think Zach Arnett loves it here. I think Zach Arnett loves Mississippi State. You saw from the very beginning, he's like, I'm just so grateful to this university for this opportunity. I think Zach's the kind of guy, too, that, you know, we believed in him first. I guess we'll give Rocky Long a little credit for that, too. But we believed in him First. And we hired him based on Rocky Long's recommendation. Mike Leach, Rocky Long, amazing friends. And Mike used to tell me the best defensive man in the country was Rocky Long. We couldn't get Rocky to come. And so Rocky makes a recommendation that we hire Zach Arnett, who had, was at Syracuse at the time, had not signed his uh, contract and actually used their fax machine to fax us back his uh, you know, memorandum of intent and we pluck him away and he comes down here and after year one everybody in the country wants to hire him including LSU and he stays and to give John Cohen some credit John it put in a buyout you know halfway through the year we went ahead and negotiated an extension we realized what we had there so after the All Miss game in 2020 we go ahead and sign an extension with a very expensive buyout so whenever all of a sudden South Carolina and all these people are like, hey, you know, we want to go interview Zach Arnett. It's like, okay, but you're going to pay every dime with a buyout. And you're like, what's a buyout? Like, oh, goodness. And I remember it like it was yesterday. I love all these people with, quote, sources at other schools that have no connection to Mississippi State. But, well, I understand. they're going to. When all that stuff happened with the Ores Run thing, well, I understand the buyout could be negotiated. Let me tell you this. I know John Cohen better than most of you folks do. And if you think for one second that John Cohen was ever going to negotiate a buyout to allow zach arnett to go to lsu at a discount you don't know john Cohen at all there was no way we're going to let him leave and go to a division rival at a discount we'd have made him pay every penny and i remember having that discussion with john after the dust settled i said there was a guy in lsu media says that uh we're going to negotiate the buyout. And I told him, I said, if you think that John Cohen's going to settle for anything less than every single penny owed to Mississippi State, you're kidding yourself. John's like, well, you told him right. And so I look at all of these things, kind of the pathology of how Zach Arnett became our coach, how he became a Division I athlete, how he got into coaching, and how ultimately he landed here. And I think it's one of those things that was supposed to happen. I think we have a very special individual as our head coach and to hear jared pachinko uh, tell the story zach arnett's one of the most intelligent guys he knows and it's one of those things too being around zach he doesn't always give off that studious vibe but you can tell the guy's got some street sense you can tell the guy understands how to motivate people and just as he was as a catcher in high school he made the guys around him better you look at zach arnett in 2020 Guys, did we have any defensive stars on that defense? Honestly, go back and look. Well, you had Martin Emerson, right? You had, you had a uh, you know, rising Emmanuel Forbes you know, coming up the ranks you know, a year later. We had kind of a no-name defense in 2020. It's true. And you look at the guys that have graduated and moved on, how many of those guys went pro? It's amazing to think about, right? Now, all of a sudden, we're beginning to get some talent. You're beginning to get some wins on the recruiting trail, and you're beginning to get some four-star type talents. What's Zach Arnett and Matt Brock on defense going to do now that we've upgraded our talent? And I go back to something, again, Mike Leach had a note in his office. that said, when in doubt, trust Zach. Mike Leach, one of the greatest football coaches to ever live. And he went and hired Arnett based on his friend's recommendation. And then ultimately learned to trust the guy and say, you know what? Zach's our guy. And now Zach is our guy. And you know what? We may go out this year and have a disappointing year. and not expecting that. And I may be completely wrong about Zach Arnett. I don't believe that I am, though. I'm not going to go out here and bet money on, on Mississippi State's college football season, but I would not bet against Zach Arnett. I can promise you that. And the more that I learn about Zach and the more people I talk to that have known him kind of coming up, the more I like him. You know, this wasn't just a hire of convenience, as some people have tried to suggest. We had our eye on Arnett for probably a year or longer. And I remember talking to John Cohen, you know, in year two. He says, hey, Steve, this guy's going to be head coach somewhere. Maybe here someday. It happened a lot sooner than we expected, probably even more so than Arnett expected. But I would encourage you, whatever you see Zach Arnett get involved in, it's probably worth investing in. And so I think it's time for us to invest in that. I think it's OK to be excited about the Arnett era, because I think it's going to be a really special one. i got a really good feeling about this. and you know, Feelings are, you know, are feelings. But when, you, when you're basing those feelings off a pattern and a body of work that have shown you that this guy has been successful, in every aspect of his life, at every level, why in the world would you think it's okay to start doubting him now? It's not. Again, go to uh, whenthebottomfalls.com, order your copies of the book, and uh, you can get uh, Alpha Dogs, and I'm told, I think that, I think they actually found a handful of Stark Villains in the webs- in, in the warehouse, I think three or four copies, so if you don't have that, you can order that too. Of course, there's flim flam and dog pile. Uh, Five of my books are available on this website. It's not just uh, the recovery book, but uh, again, dog pile, flim flam, alpha dogs, Stark villains. You can order again limited quantities on alpha dogs and Stark villains, especially on uh, on villains. Just a handful of them, and and they just found those when they recently did an inventory. Found those uh, in another box, you know. So. When we go to book signing, sometimes there's like a, a mixed box, and that's what they found, a mixed box that had a handful of these in there. So be able to check them out. Uh, Blooms of Oleander will soon be going out of print. Matter of fact, uh, I'm not renewing that this year, so whatever's out there is all that you're going to be able to get. And uh, you can get it through Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, BooksandMegan.com. Uh, I think they'll probably go out of print here in about 60 days. And I've had a lot of people here as of late, so they can't wait to read the new book because they love Blooms of Oleander. And thank you very much. That was just a little side project that we did. It was a lot of fun. And as always, if you're not a member of jeanspage.com, you certainly should be. Come by and check us out. And uh, we'll be monitoring a draft throughout the day, and which uh, got we'll started here shortly. We'll be monitoring a draft, and we'll update you as it kind of unfolds. Uh, but until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies, and people can see a difference in the way we live.